0: Married for 16 years. It was a really busy year 16 years ago. And uh, we have two daughters. One is going to be a freshman. I do not feel like I'm old enough to have a freshman, but I am. And uh, my other daughter is going to be an eighth grader. Uh, And even though I'm a stranger to 99% of you, Simi Covenant is not a a stranger to me. When I joined the covenant 10 years ago, one of my first friends uh, was a youth pastor uh, named Ross, who I met him and I'm like, dude, you look like Nicolas Cage. And, <laughs> and so for the rest of our friendship, he got sick of me saying, would you say things like, I'm going to steal the declaration. And um, <laughs> But Ross has been a good friend. You know, I, uh, I brought my girls to their first concert here when Gunger was here in 2016. And uh, being their first concert, I was like, hey, when you go to a concert, you have to show up early, right, for the good seats. So it's Christmas time, we show up like an hour before the doors even open, and uh, Pastor Chad came out. He was hoping that we were Gunger because Gunger hadn't even shown up yet. (laughs) So as a result of poor planning, a Texas man needed some same-day dry cleaning before he left on a trip. He remembered one store with a huge sign, One Hour Dry Cleaners, on the other side of town. So he drove out of his way to the other side of town. As he dropped it off, he said, I'll be back in an hour to pick it up. The lady there at the desk said, we can't get this back to you until Thursday. The man was a little frustrated and a little upset, and he said, well, what about your, what about your sign? What about your name? And the lady said, that's just the name. We don't actually do one-hour dry cleaning. Integrity, ethics, it's how we live our lives. And as people who claim to follow Christ, to take on the name of Christ, Christians, we need to live out that name. We need to live out kingdom ethics and live with kingdom integrity. You know, one of my favorite stories uh, in the Old Testament is the story, uh, one of the stories of David. And it's not the story of David and Goliath, but we're going we're gonna to pick up right after that and then jump into a story that, you know, I'm a youth pastor, and so it's a great uh, youth pastor uh, story. You know, after 1 Samuel 17, where we have the story of David and Goliath, David then becomes a rock star uh, in the land of Israel, so much so that he uh, causes King Saul to become extremely jealous of him. Picking up the story in 1 Samuel 18, when the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistine, women from all the towns of Israel came out to meet King Saul. They sang and danced for joy with tambourines and cymbals. This was their song. Saul has killed his thousands and David, his ten thousands. This made Saul very angry. What is this, he said? They credit David with ten thousands and me with only thousands. Next, they'll be making him their king. A little biblical foreshadowing right there. And David continued to prosper and to grow in fame, and so Saul continued to grow in his jealousy of him. If we keep moving through the storyline twice, David is sitting there playing his guitar-like instrument of the day, and Saul tries to kill him with a spear. You'd think David would learn the first time. Then Saul thought he'd have more control over David and have a better chance of killing him if he became his father-in-law, because as we know, becoming someone's in-law solves all the problems. <laughs> After that happens, once again, Saul tries to kill him with a spear. Three strikes. Come on, David, let's, let's figure this out. Stop playing guitar for King Saul. And when all of this failed, Saul actually sent mercenaries into his daughter's bedroom to try and kill David in the middle of the night. David's life was spared because his wife, Saul's daughter, uh, sent him away. Later on in the next passage, David is spared when King Saul's son, Jonathan, creates a plan in order to save David. So if we look at this storyline, I mean, we have all this, like, family fighting, and, like, you know, they're rebelling against their dad. And I just think it would make a really great reality TV show. And so now David is on the run for his life. In order to avoid being captured and harmed from the enemy... David actually goes to the hometown of Goliath, who he you know, famously killed. And while he's there, he pretends to be mad. He's scratching on the doorpost. he's letting drool run down his beard, and he's doing this in order for the people of, of Gath to be like, you know, he's crazy, let's just leave him alone. That's how far he has fallen from killing Goliath and becoming a rock star in the area to having to pretend to be mad in order to save his own life. And at one point in time, Saul has almost... Oh, wait, let me back up from that. David is then joined in the wilderness by a group that no one wants to hang out with. 1 Samuel 22, verse 2 says, everyone who is in distress and everyone who is in debt and everyone who is bitter in soul gathered to him. I mean, when you're running for your life, how many of you want those, especially the bitter in soul people gathered around you? And he became a commander over them. And there with him... We're about 400 men. And at one point, Saul has almost captured David. David is on one side of the mountain and Saul is on the other when word comes to Saul that the Philistines are once again invading and Saul needs to stop chasing after David and you know, come take care of this war. You know, it's kind of important. And so once again, David's life is actually spared by the Philistines, ironically enough. Saul takes care of that problem and then once again he's coming after David. And come after David he does. This time as verse or chapter 24 says, he brings 3000 chosen men. Overkill much maybe, but Saul wants David. And this is where we pick up the story in 1 Samuel 24 verse 3. At the place where the road passes some sheepfolds, Saul went into a cave to relieve himself. He's not taking a nap. He went in to relieve himself. But as it happened, David and his men were hiding farther back in that very cave. Now is your opportunity, David's men whispered to him. Today the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into your power to do with as you wish. Now remember, David had a lot of people with him. David was in this back of this cave with all these people and all these people are whispering, hey Dave, look, look David, there's your chance. And this just makes me laugh all the more at Saul. Okay, Saul, if you really follow the story closely, Saul just does a lot of really stupid things and you kind of scratch your head and say, how's this guy king? Now, I don't know if you've been in caves very much, but caves do this thing where they echo, (laughs) you know. When I was in Bible college, uh, I went to Bible college up in Portland, and so I would often take students up to Mount St. Helens, and we would go explore uh, the caves there. And at one point in time, uh, you know, I was with a bunch of middle schoolers and my best friend and college roommate and and all that. I took his flashlight, and like, we just start running. And so we run far far down the cave, and you know, we stop and, you know, know, trying to hush and whisper. This guy, he's like banging his head. And, you know, tripping and falling. And, and so we just hear those, ah, ah, you know, all the way down the cave. And so we start laughing hysterically. Um, you know, safety first, right? And so, um, but we think he's closer than he actually is because how the echo sounds. You know, and probably our maniacal laughter, he thought we were closer too. But the point of all that is, dude, caves echo. And so even if these people are whispering, Psst, Dave, Dave, look, look, don't look, he's going to the bathroom. Um, and so how does he not... Pick up on that. He totally misses it. But here is Dave's chance. He's so preoccupied and so oblivious. And so it says that David, you know, he creeps up to him and and he's getting super close, probably to the point where it's it's getting a little awkward because there's no stalls like in the bathroom cave or the cave there. And, And so he comes up really close with a knife and he cuts off a corner of his robe. He had every chance to kill Saul and was well within his rights to kill Saul. But instead he just cut off the corner of his robe. Now this sounds weird and it really doesn't translate into 21st century America. But in that day on the corner of their robes were these tassels and these tassels were actually very very important. These tassels were called zitzits. Yes, that's actually the pronunciation for them. And zitzits were a display of importance a family lineage of your prestige. They were worn by royalty, Pharisees, teachers, etc. This was a big deal back then. You know, we compare outfits today. Back then, they compared the length and color and style of your tassel. But for David to do this was an extreme act of rudeness. This would be similar to somebody running up to the Queen of England and knocking that crown right off of her head, taking a selfie. Yay, like I did it and leaving it at that. So this is an extreme act of rudeness. He had every right to kill him, but instead he just did something really rude. And the crazy thing is, as we pick up the story in 1 Samuel 24, he felt really bad about it. Verse 5. David's conscience began bothering him because he had cut Saul's robe. This is the dude who's trying to kill you. This is the guy who, remember, David has already been crowned king, or anointed king by Samuel. He has yet to receive the crown. Here's the king who actually kind of has your job. And you feel bad for cutting off his tassel. His men freaked out. David restrained them, said, no, don't go after Saul. After Saul had left the cave, verse 7, and gone on his way, David came out and shouted after him, My lord, the king. And when Saul looked around, David bowed before him. David bowed before the guy who tried to kill him three times with the spear. Then he shouted to Saul, Why do you listen to the people who say, I am trying to harm you? This very day you can see with your own eyes it isn't true. For the Lord placed you at my mercy back there in the cave. Some of my men told me to kill you, but I spared you. For I said, I will never harm the king. He is the Lord's anointed one. Look, my father, at what I have in my hand. It is a piece of the hem of your robe. I cut it off, but I didn't kill you. This proves that I am not trying to harm you and that I have not sinned against you, even though you have been hunting in order to kill me. Look at everything David experienced at the hands of Saul. And we have to ask ourselves, with with his integrity, the way he lived his life, and living out godly ethics, we then have to look at ourselves. If you were sneaking up on your enemy in the cave, like David was, what would you have done? David was well within his cultural rights to kill Saul. Saul. He had already been anointed the next king. By Saul even chasing him through the wilderness, it was an act of war against David and his troops of 400 bitter and soul people. And David had already proven himself to be the better warrior, which is probably why Saul had to bring 3,000 men because Saul is pretty oblivious when he's going to the bathroom in a cave. And so he misses the fact that David is right back there. He's not a very good soldier. David is well within his cultural rights. He's well within his legal rights. And so we have to ask ourselves, when are times that we think that we are well within our cultural rights, that kingdom ethics and kingdom integrity requires us to do something different? To do something other than what culture says is okay. Because if we are people of kingdom ethics and kingdom integrity, Our lives will look different than what culture says we should do. When culture and contemporary mandates come into conflict with each other, we need to live like David lived. We need to choose kingdom ethics and integrity. And we may well be within our rights as culture dictates, but as kingdom of God people, we have to rise above that. Too often, the church and people who claim the name of Christ as part of their identity looks just like the culture. And because the culture does it well, it's okay. I think a lot of people are going to be so confused when they get to heaven. And there they are, they're worshiping, and they see Jesus over there, and so like they start like elbowing their way over to him, and they, you know, they pull out their phone, grace book you know selfie with jesus and then and then they they say jesus do you remember that one time do you remember that one time i totally argued about insert favorite topic here and and i totally destroyed that person and jesus is going to just be like when did i tell you to do that Just as David was a man of integrity and lived above cultural expectations of his day, we need to live above cultural expectations of our day. Our Western civilization is very much a power over system. If you have the loudest voice, if you have the most money, if you have the biggest crowd, whatever it might be, you have the most power. And to this Jesus said in Matthew 20, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for money, many, not money. (laughs) Wow, hello. So where our culture is, they claw your way to the top. Take no prisoners. Do what you got to do in order to get there. Jesus says, let it not be so among you. For whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. Even David displayed that as you know he bows down before the very man who tried to kill him multiple times short range with the spear now he's hunting him he bows before him and he just says i will do you no harm evil people do evil things but i will not do that to you that is a kingdom ethic and integrity the kind of ethic and integrity god the father is expecting from us today just this past week, the Evangelical Covenant Church released a statement regarding the, the events of Dayton and El Paso, and I haven't gotten around to reading it, but instead of, instead of reading the statement, I, I read the comments on Facebook underneath the release of the statement, which is really stupid to do. I mean, let's just admit it. Some of those comments that come after things, you're just like, oh, my head hurts. And, and it's crazy. Oftentimes when things like that are said, there's, there's a comment that gets made. And I've seen it among pastor friends and, you know, evangelical covenant statements. And it's always, I don't think the church should touch the subject. I think the church should stay in its lane and let's, let's, let's not go there. You know? And I think that's a sad statement. Because what that statement is actually saying is I want to live kingdom ethics and integrity to this point. I want my pastor to talk about Jesus and love and grace and forgiveness and all those great things, but let's not, let's, let's not go over here. My kingdom ethic and integrity will go so far, but it won't go farther. When honestly the church and pastors are the people who really should be sharing about how to respond to what's going on in culture. And if we come to just right here, and we don't want to cross, and we say, church, stay in your lane. Let's not talk about that issue. We're not being fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. We're not living with integrity in our walk with Jesus Christ. The word that we get uh, for whole number, the root word for that is integer. It's where we get the same word. It's the same root word for integrity. Are you whole in your following of Jesus Christ. Is your ethics and integrity does it not stop here, but do you follow with your entire life? David did. Culture said you can kill Saul, but David says that's not that's not what my God wants me to do. So I'm going to rise above what culture is expecting for me to do. So once again I ask, are you living your life with a kingdom ethic and a kingdom integrity? If you are, you're going to come across some really crazy things. Probably not as crazy as David experienced here in 1 Samuel 24, but you're going to bump up into things where you're going to have to choose. Am I going to live as the culture dictates, or am I going to live as my God tells me? Your life is going to look radically different, but it should, because this is where we take our marching orders from. In the evangelical covenant, one of our affirmations is the centrality of the word of God. We believe that the Bible is the only perfect rule for faith, doctrine, and conduct. And so instead of living like the culture and reflecting the culture, a kingdom ethic and a kingdom integrity looks radically different. It looks what looks like what Jesus taught us. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him for the kingdom of heaven is theirs god blesses those who mourn their own sin for they will be comforted god blesses those who are humble for they will inherit the earth god blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice for they will be satisfied god blesses those who are merciful for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Despite how culture says it's okay to live, we need to be people who rise above that. If we claim to follow Christ, we should live within a kingdom ethic and a kingdom integrity that looks radically different than the rest of the world. Please pray with me. Father God, I, just, I thank you for your grace and your mercy, first off, because as hard as we try, we often fall short of fully living into a kingdom ethic and a kingdom integrity. So I thank you for your grace and your mercy and your continual forgiveness of us for when we fall short. Lord, I just pray that you help us all, myself included, that we would take seriously the name of Christ and that we would live fully in to living into that ethic and integrity. Challenge us, push us, convict us, but may we be fully yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Theo. We are going into our time of offering, and I'm going to invite the ushers forward. And we're going, this is an opportunity for us to Give out of our hearts, give out of um, our worship, out of our first fruits of what God has to engage with what he invites us to and to partake in all that he is doing in and through our church. So we invite you to be generous in that. But we also ask that you would...